find you my missing puzzle piece I'm complete I was just And welcome to Two Day Dream Believers Podcast. I am your host, Space Orphan 18. Today we are talking about um, the Kurt side of the infamous breakup episode. Um, so uh, today we've got some, we have three guests, one uh, returning, one coming back from a long time who we're happy to see, and a new guest. So I'll have you guys introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Snarky Hag. Hi, I'm Raya, a.k.a. Lurk du Soleil. Hi, I'm Annie, or uh, Perfect Anomaly on Tumblr. And hi, guys. Uh, welcome to the Breakup Podcast, the uh, Kurt side. There is a Blaine side that will be airing at the exact same time, so if you listen to this one first, go check that out, or if you're coming from over there, welcome. Um, so yeah, let's just jump into it. Um, to catch up, Previously on Glee, which I kind of have to start doing now, um, we have <laughs> Kurt going to New York, and um, he has been kind of having a fun time. He got an internship at Vogue.com, and he's all excited to be living his life in this new um, in this new world in New York City. And because of that, it has some repercussions that he is not uh, spending as much time as he probably should. <laughs> um, Noticing that his relationship is not in a great place. So that's kind of where we're, we're coming off of into this episode. And um, something that I noticed coming in is that, especially because I've done the Blaine side of it, there's a lot of setup from Blaine's point of view, but in Kurt, he's just kind of in this, like, the first scene we have of him is actually um, when they're making, he's making breakfast and it's after uh, Finn and Rachel have had that awkward night together the night before. 
So yeah, we, we get into it and he is making breakfast and Rachel comes out and, she, and you know, and he's like, oh, kind of happy, kind of like, hey guys, uh, I, I don't know, you know, I don't want to hear what you guys are doing, but um, yeah, so. I think, it, I think it's like vaguely forced joy, you know, <laughs> like, like he's happy to see Finn and, you know, but however, it's extremely awkward. So he's just going to smile and get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I do love when he says, I'm going to take my lunch to the park and watch drug deals go down. <laughs> which, which I agree. I think I'd rather watch that than watch Finchel awkwardly not talk to each other. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And it's interesting to me, like, how he and Rachel are really well bonded in this moment. Um, you know, he he is interested in her and supportive of her she's open to him but it's not that he's like rushing to her to try and help solve her problems he, he gives her a certain amount of distance which i think is really smart for the two of them having adult relationships uh and also i mean what why would you he's already like he's already so much physically in it just being in that space i can totally understand why his initial reaction is i'm going to make this fancy lunch i look adorable i'm going to go somewhere else yeah i i can't imagine um what the night before must have been like cuz he wasn't actually there cuz it was the Rachel and Brody date so who knows where he actually was but I'm sure he gets back and sees Finn and things are awkward. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go over and not pay any attention to you guys. Yeah, I mean, he makes a statement about putting in earplugs. So I imagine he just went straight to his little curtain, turned on the white noise machine, put on the earplugs and was like, la, 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 la. I don't want to know. <laughs> I find remember season three, they were all up in each other's lap and mouth all the time. So what would you expect? True. I just find it. Uh, I like the comparison because Rachel now is in this place. She's in secure of her relationship with Finn and Brody. But even though um, we know as a viewer that Slane is insecure about his relationship with Kurt, it seems like Kurt doesn't really know yet. So he's in a good place right now. <laughs> like <laughs> the first five minutes of the episode, but things are going to change so much for him the next the next days, or I don't get the timeline. But it's it's interesting because what, what he's seeing is his best friend and his brother's relationship falling apart, but he probably doesn't see his own falling apart in the same way. I don't know, it just, it just struck me when I saw the, the scene. Oh yeah, no, I was going to, I totally agree with that because I was going to make a comment that he says, you know, I know that the whole white noise machine was, you know, just because he's probably used to it from when he was in high school. And, but at the same time, it's kind of a, I'm going to totally meta this to death. Way, uh, he, it's kind of a, he's putting the white uh, noise machine, he's not paying any attention. And it's kind of like a metaphor for his own relationship. He's not paying any attention. Uh, the other thing, because um, Snarky always um, points this stuff out, and I'm now more aware of it, um, he's he's wearing very white clothing in this. It's a very bright clothing. This is the last time we're really going to see him in very bright colors. Because and a polka, polka dot scarf. And a polka dot scarf. Yeah, he's <laughs> thriving. But this whole scene is very light. <laughs> I think he wore the polka dot scarf in 2009, actually. I remember it from the, the yeah. Glee auction. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But he doesn't wear bright clothes again until the end of season four, I think. Well, yeah, more not really. Well, like, he's definitely going to be face or, yeah. wearing a lot of black in this in this episode. So, um, yeah, this is kind of the last bright Kurt scene that we're going to get. Uh, go- going on, I do want to make a point that there's a Pertana scene after this where Santana is completely throwing shade at Kurt getting the Vogue internship because uh, I just, yeah, because a lot of people I remember at the time were like, really, would Kurt get that internship right off out of the gate? And probably yes, he not. Would. <laughs> he is magic. They're not paying him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like when Glee breaks the fourth wall and do things like that because it's obvious that it's uh, it just that uh, Isabel would love him so much at just first sight. Well, I did, but you know she's a professional. Uh, um, so yeah, it's. Uh, well, I do think it's interesting that uh, Glee does make all these comments on on itself. Well, it's got a lot of self-aware humor. Yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah, we know we're being corny and surreal and strange, but <laughs> guess what? We're doing it anyway. But at the same time, that whole point is that Santana is basically jealous of the fact that he went for it and tried something and he's getting one of his very many dreams. Like he's actually doing something and she's just spinning her wheels in college. And she's lying to herself and she's lying to Brittany and she's, as they're folding laundry and Brittany's yawning about how, you know, she's happy with the choices that she's made. She's super bitter that something turned out okay for Kurt. Uh, And so she's making a great, like it's a great fourth wall break, but it's also such a point about like who she needs to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, I'm going to bring this up a little bit more at the end, but um, I made a a point in the the Blaine side to talk about Blaine and his, you know, parallels with Brittany and with Finn as being kind of the, the characters that are dumped. And then over here, I'm like, well, we'll talk about Rachel and Santana and Kurt being the ones that end up dumping. And I had like an epiphany this morning, kind of where Santana and Rachel are kind of like examining their relationships and going, I need to move on from this right now. We are not in a good place. And Kurt actually is not. It's, it's, I mean, it, the kind of the, this, it, the the theme of it is so there that like that they're in different places and they need they need to be individual for a while. But where Rachel and Santana kind of accept like okay we're breaking this up. You know what? Kurt doesn't. It's kind of like forced on him. And I just think that's an interesting difference. And we can talk. Yeah. Uh, that I, I watching the episode again. I actually kind of feel more like. Kurt and Finn are a little more paralleled and Rachel and Blaine are um, emotionally speaking because like Finn and Kurt are, you know, they, they, they kind of withdrew. Um, They tried to move on and get themselves into these new places. They're in these new places. Finn is returning to Rachel and Kurt is, kind of returning to Blaine, like when Blaine shows up, um, because both Blaine and Rachel felt as though their relationships were over due to the other's feelings. You know, Rachel felt that Finn had moved on because he went missing for four months. And then Kurt or Blaine felt like Kurt had moved on because he was neglecting Blaine emotionally. 
I never thought See, of it that's that way. fascinating. I saw some totally different parallels. I saw the parallel between Santana and Kurt, which is where Santana is trying to do everything for a relationship at a, at a disservice to her. And then Kurt is unknowingly, obviously, doing less for his relationship as a, dis, as a disservice to Blaine. And yeah. then, I, you know, I really saw the strong parallel between Blaine and Finn just sort of wondering, you know, I have this person who's my person, but I, I feel like I don't fit in their world. Oh, um, absolutely. Is what that whole barely I, I think it all happens at once. Is about. Yeah, I, I, I think... I don't see Rachel paralleled with anyone besides Brittany, if anything, where things just happen to them and they... You know, there's some logic to it. I, I do like the fact that both Santana and Rachel have a huge amount of agency, which for Glee is kind of shocking that they bothered to do that for them. But yeah, the 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 claim stuff is so in it. It's almost in a separate category. Like as much as you can compare it to what's happening with Britannia or with Finchel, it's in a totally different kind of category because you have two characters who were very much on the same page in a lot of different ways and so the the difficulties between them um they just sort of build from a different place like when you when you first watch the episode it doesn't make any sense why blaine would do that it doesn't he doesn't make people were very unhappy because they were like this doesn't make any sense he should know better but of course he doesn't know better he's 17 and he's lonely and he's sad and he needs more physical proximity to understand how, I mean, he's the person who, you know, if Kurt's in the room with him, he has to be touching him. He's very physical. And so the medium of being apart and calling and texting and all that stuff, even if Kurt was doing it all the time and they were totally able to keep up all of their regular communication, he's touch starved. And that starts to eat away at him. Right. And then kind of tying that into the scene that, that's next, which is this phone call. And then, you know, uh, Kurt actually does call Blaine, which I think is interesting um, to note. You know, that Kurt is making at least somewhat of an effort to call Blaine. And Blaine... See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be difficult and say, I don't think Kurt's making mistakes. I don't think he's doing things wrong. I think he could be more observant. But... I, I got to disagree because, you know what? He's trying. He's trying. But, you know, he, he says it in that phone call. I'm trying, but this could be a career for me. I, I have to take this seriously. I have to make some choices. And he feels like think... one choice is temporary and the other one is not. He doesn't think that Blaine's temporary. I think but that... Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> okay, Ryan yeah. and then Annie, go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that... Kurt was not trying his best. And the reason I believe that is because Blaine is like desperately reaching out to him and no, he wasn't observant, but he ditched Blaine to gossip with someone. I understand that gossip is a part of the fashion industry and you got, you know, you want to know what's going on, but what's more important. Some office gossip that you could get in a half an hour or your boyfriend who is hurting and telling you he's hurting and telling you he needs you. Oh, well, I'd rather yeah. go. Yes, like, look, that, that, yeah. He's he says he's taken over Isabel's phone 
And this person, this person calls who is, for whatever reason, an asset to Vogue. And he has a responsibility at this thing that could be a job for him to do that thing. And so he says, you know, he's frustrated. It's that, you know, he wishes he had more time. He's, he's trying, but he's telling Blaine right now, I need to be able to focus on this. And I will call you and I will be in touch. At the same think, time. It doesn't work because they're just not old. They're, they're not mature enough to handle that. No. You know, when I talk to my partner and he's like, I have to get off the phone with you right now because I'm doing some adulting. It's like, okay, adulting. Talk to you later. I'll survive, you know. But like if my but, husband calls me and he's super emotional and like, and it's like uncharacteristic, I'm going to pay attention. See, but Blaine's not super emotional. He's rom- romantically wistful. Which is probably what he's like on every phone call. Um, well, first of all, Annie, did you have something you wanted to? I know. You- uh, yeah, yeah. I just Sorry. wanted to say that. No, no, no. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say that uh, first, I, I do think Kurt's being a bit neglectful here. Not just this phone call in particular, because he did call him, and I do get his at work. But you, you probably talked a lot about the, the previous podcast. Uh, the um, makeover, makeover, the makeover yeah. one, yep. Uh, yeah, so it's it's been a trend, and you could probably you can when when I um, I, I stopped watching Glee in the beginning of season three. So when I was uh, watching this, I was being watching from from season three to to season five. So to me, everything happened very quickly. But when I look back on it now, I could see all these signs that kept is sort of uh, neglecting or um, I know I don't know if neglect is the right word but he's uh, sort of trying to don't think about it the the problems they are going to have and that they are actually having so so when we talk about parallels I would say that um, Santana is perhaps doing what Kurt should have done after yeah. after yeah. the new Rachel because she did uh, break up because she knew it would be difficult, but Kurt doesn't see because Kurt's an idealist. He he just believes that his love in itself is enough. But Blaine needs more. Yeah, like you said, Snarky, uh, he needs action. But Blaine, but Kurt just believes and he think he's naive, but he thinks it's enough. So so I, I just think that well in this in this particular scene with the call He's not doing anything wrong, but in the overall arc, he was being neglectful. And I don't blame him. As you said, he's 19. But, yeah. yeah. I think also tying it, kind of both, all the points together, you have two very different people. Because you have Blaine, who is very, I need to touch you, I need to feel you, I need reassurance. And Kurt is a very independent character. He doesn't need that the same way. Yes, he misses Blaine. He, he says it right in this phone call. He misses all of the things that Blaine lists off. He definitely does. But that reassurance, he doesn't need the reassurance in the same way. And because he doesn't, and because he's 19 and not, you know, in this new place and a new headspace and not paying attention enough, he doesn't see or doesn't hear what Blaine is going through. And because Blaine, I mean, it's a, a two-part thing. I think they're both at fault. But, like, because Blaine doesn't say explicitly, Kurt, you need to pay attention to me. I'm going through trouble. You know, Kurt doesn't really see it. And then, you know, so we get 
I mean, we get to visually see through the split screen, the Kurt side and the blank side, but they aren't looking at each other at this. They're, they're on the phone and we see Blaine struggling. Kurt does not. And I mean, Blaine's struggles are so, they're so, they're such small facial expressions, you know? I, I, I don't know if it's just because <laughs> I, I, I find Blaine's expression very obvious. Um, I don't find but, him that subtle. <laughs> I, but yeah, I agree. Kurt should know it, but he's also, he's, I don't blame Kurt. I like, I, I feel like Kurt should probably be better at it, but he's also, you know, he's at work. It's new. It's different. He's clearly underwater. And I mean, the fact of the matter is that Kurt can survive on a dream so much longer than Blaine can. Kurt's used yeah. to waiting, planning and, you know, getting there eventually. Um, so they're just going different speeds and the phone is a terrible medium for them, apparently. Yeah. I mean, it's all just miscommunication in the end. Um, and, and, and it's all part of being young and being, uh, in a long distance relationship and, you know, like it, all relationships take a lot of communication, but, and, and a lot of self-awareness and a lot of awareness of each other. And it's, they're not, they're not mature enough to handle it. They, they aren't. I don't think it's either of their specific fault. I think it's both of them, like, just making the common mistakes. Exactly. And I think that's, it's, oh, go ahead. It's super interesting that he's calling in the middle of the day, too, like when Blaine's at school. It's a stupid time to call. You're at work, Blaine's at school. You should be calling in the evening, I assume, yeah. because of set design. That's why that happened. Or maybe that's just to show us a bad phone call. You know, Kurt hangs up before, you, you know, and that's another thing. Cause like Blaine says, I love you into the air. And of course it's meant yeah. to, oh, that was, that was really sad. Poor Quill, he didn't know that he, that at but yeah, I just, I think, I think Kurt is, you know, he's trying and he's struggling and he's, you know, there's some things he's not naturally good at. Um, people are kind of one of them in some ways. And, you know, he is, he is clean, clean stand number one. He is firmly believing that they are going to have their happy ending and everything's going to be fine. And sometimes you have to put your head down and deal with the stuff that you're dealing with. But all of these kinds of things are, you know, like he's got this thing that he's doing for work and he's like, this could turn into something. It could, you know, if I, if I put some effort into it, it could turn into a career. And, you know, it sucks that you have to make a choice, one versus the other, but in that moment, when you're at work, that is a choice you have to make. And I just see Kurt as someone, like, he's got this long plan, and he he thinks Blaine is the bee's knees. He loves him so much. Not to the point of, like, idealized, doesn't understand who he is, but he has faith in Blaine that Blaine doesn't have in himself. So everything about the level to which Blaine is doubting it comes as a, as a surprise to him because it just, you know, in his brain, it doesn't make any sense. I just, I'm not going to go into it, but I could talk literally for days about Blaine's mental state. And so, yeah, yeah, but this is the first <laughs> yeah. side of the podcast, so let's focus on Kurt. Well, yeah. And I would do, I, I, if you guys are listening to the claim or the Kurt podcast first, we do go into a lot of uh, where Blaine is mentally 
um, coming into it. We really like uh, the next part. This will segue nicely into this next part because the next part is the the a barely breathing montage. And we did spend a lot of time on where Blaine's headspace was. Did it make sense within the context um, uh, of the story right there? Did the cheating make sense? And, and we really did. We talked uh, about two hours just in, uh, you know, talking about the episode, but also about where Blaine is at. And um, it's a good thing I was not in that. It would have been like eight hours. This episode, this episode gives us so much character exposition for Blaine. And you get so little for Kurt. Yeah, that's what one thing I noticed when <laughs> so we were doing it. Really and even putting it together, it's a little bit more challenging. And not, you know, and I almost want to say Kurt's side doesn't need to be. I think that Blaine does need to be the more explored character here. Absolutely. I mean, we had all of season two to get Kurt, you know, build up, build up, build up, even in season three. And Blaine was, you know, sort of the more mysterious character, and now we're delving right into it. Exactly. Over the whole series, Blaine gets like five episodes that talk yeah, about his person. <laughs> I also think it's it's because even though you, I don't want to play any Blaine game, and we're probably going to talk more about it later, but I think that because here, even though you can say that uh, Kurt did a lot of things wrong, I think Glee wanted us to show us Blaine's side because he was the one that actually uh, did what broke them up so because I think if it were for Kurt he could have kept on kept the relationship going for a long time while he was in New York and so so I think that's why we get Blaine's side more because Kurt Kurt was okay with having a long distance relationship he he was okay he was thriving in in new york so he, he he didn't he's part of the breakup wasn't as important in this episode i think i mean i was trying to figure out whether or not in my opinion and i didn't really decide whether or not kurt had unex unreasonable expectations of blaine i think that in some ways he did um and I think that in some ways he had a picture painted in his head and he painted Blaine in there with it. And he probably didn't take into account some of the things that are actually happening with Blaine that, you know, are really big, important things that you, you have to do as part of an adult relationship. Um, I don't think that they couldn't have. I don't think I don't think that it's like, you know, two characters that just can't make it work. But there were lots of things that were making that work hard. Um, now I will say, cause we passed it and I just, I have to make a point about, I, I did think, you know, you compare Kurt's vision of, you know, what his long-term boyfriend, long distance boyfriend is supposed to be like. And then Rachel, when Finn shows up, Rachel is out of her mind. She's so into putting things back the way they used to be in, I guess, I don't know, season three glory days. I mean, at one point, before the montage, she she suggests to Finn that like he should just come with her and shadow some classes and then apply and then he'll get into Niata. And it's like, fuck you, man! Kurt didn't get into Niata. Jesse didn't get yeah. in. Adam Lambert <laughs> didn't get in. Oh, his name's Elliot. <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Rachel? Are you insane? Yeah. Well, you know, it's Glee. The characters don't always live in reality. Well, it just makes me wonder how little of a realistic vision of Finn 
we are trying to be told about Rachel. I mean, she definitely has an idealized version of him, which we'll get into when we talk about when the actual breakup at the end of the episode. But yeah, there's the a lot way... of pedestals going on. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, and um, kind of segueing from that. Um, so just segue a little bit. Um, one thing I noticed with this, when I was looking at the music, this is very much, if you put all of the songs that Blaine sings together, you get a whole arc within this little episode and you don't get it with Kurt, but this is, so this is kind of Blaine-ish story, even if it uh-huh. is about the both of them. And, and that kind of leads me into the breaking, the, the, um, barely breathing montage and we do get, you know, Blaine is haunted, quote unquote, by Kurt. He sees Kurt in his um, never been kissed outfits, but he's oh. so they don't even try to style his hair differently. It's just season four Kurt in that outfit. I just think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's gorgeous. It's, yeah. Well, sorry. you have you have Rachel telling Finn that like everything's going to be just like it used to be. And then he follows her around and is like, I don't belong here. And then you have Blaine basically going through all of these high emotional points, trying to recapture this feeling that he had at some point. And he's singing to empty chairs and he's singing to ghost Kurt and he's looking very sad. And it, you know, for as much as people thought this was a 180 for Blaine, that like five minutes of the episode did a great job of explaining exactly where he's at. I agree. But it's not accurate to whatever Kurt's doing. Like, <sighs> Blaine's wrong. <laughs> okay, so we got, I don't know, later, the like, it's not the same day as the Finn and Rachel stuff. It's been like a day or two. And it's... um date night, I guess, and third's, uh, Kurt's going to be a third-ish wheel before Blaine shows up, and um, we actually have a, a shot of Kurt like getting ready, and he's wearing his infamous re- red and black outfit from the breakup, and he's looking at himself in the mirror and, and cleaning up and everything like that. And I just think it's interesting because there's going to be another mirror shot of him later in the episode when they're doing Don't Speak, and I don't know. I... I was confused what day it was as well because the the barely breathing song ends and then go and then I think there's a commercial and then um, you come back and Finn has on the same shirt but they clearly say that it's Friday so <laughs> it's just accidental that Finn's maybe Finn shirt. only brought one shirt <laughs> or maybe he's wearing the same shirt because he's stuck in a place in time I don't you know who knows could be anything <laughs> I like that <laughs> um, but I love like. Kurt is spending so much time, like, he's checking out his butt, he's got these, like, crazy pants on, bright red pants, and he's, like, you know, he's trying to look good, he's trying to look professional, he's thinking that Finn doesn't look good enough in whatever Finn's wearing, he's probably right. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Finn. Um, And so, yeah, then um, there's a knock on the door, and Blaine comes holding flowers, and there's that um, meme of, you know, if you're bringing flowers or plants to the loft, it's not a good thing. Because <laughs> Bert will do it later. Brody brought in the first one, and Brody just was a general bad idea. And, you know, so. And, and, and look at how happy Kurt is to see Blaine. He's just ecstatic. Oh, my God. Yeah. He didn't want to okay. wait that two weeks. I uh, I have to get going. Okay. 
Oh, God, <laughs> my husband just gave me a look. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm glad you were able to join us for a little bit, Raya. We do have you on yeah, another episode. Fun. Bye, Take Raya. Care. Thanks. So Blaine arrives, and Kurt is really ecstatic about it. And he's just yeah. crazy happy to see his boyfriend. Yes. And Rachel ruins it by saying, like, oh, it's like nothing ever happened. Everything is exactly the same. Good old days. It's like, oh, shut up. <laughs> I don't, it's like we were, we just did season three. We don't really want to go back there. Um, (laughs) But that's the other thing. You can't really go backwards. I think Rachel also has this weird mentality that, you know, everything can just pick up like it used to and things have already changed. You cannot go backwards. I could see her thinking that things pick up where they used to if she's talking about a relationship with Finn who possibly is shown as not changing over time like he's one steady thing that's it you know he doesn't want to go to new york he doesn't want to grow he doesn't want to do this he doesn't want to do that he wants to freeze time in high school preferably where he still had relevance Mm -hmm. so i understand how she kind of gets like sucked into that weird narrative but she's always been someone who part of her being is about just like Kurt, you know, thinking into the future and playing into the future. And she, you know, she wants to, she wants to bring someone with her who is stuck in time. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. But you could, you could probably see that throughout season or the end of season three as well, because she was always like determined that they would work out somehow. And it's sort of the same with Kurt who just assumed and was hoping and thinking and, yeah, being determined that he and Blaine would work out even though they were in different cities. So it's just, yeah, she she just wants it to work so well that she's ignoring the difficult parts in the same way Kurt does. I mean, to Rachel's benefit, the writers also were going to make it work out. We were just going to have multiple seasons before she showed back up again. It's like, you know, the writers had it all set up that Finchel was going to work out but the way the show was written, you could tell that claim would probably work out. One feels more forced than the other, in my opinion. Uh, but it doesn't change. Like her, her particular perspective is that he is so crucially important to some portion of herself, which again she talks about at the end of it, that he has to be a piece of her story, and she can get any old other dude. Picked up Brody, no problem. Boom, done. But, you know, she she has a really strong preference to this highly emotional attachment to the first. Well, and I want to say, I, I do want to say it's a little bit different. Like, Finchel has that going on where they're kind of, like, Finn is just stuck. Rachel's kind of just holding on to the past. But I don't feel that with Clayne. I feel like these guys are moving forward and struggling to figure out how to move forward. But to me, and maybe this is, you know, kind of going off of what you were saying about one feels forced and one doesn't, it makes sense that, okay, they're going to spend some individual time, like trying to figure things out and grow up and then come back together because they've always, at least in my head, made more sense. Whereas Finchel, they're not well suited in the same way or at all. I also think, like, we get this cheating, and the reason that the writers went that way, other than the fact that I'm pretty sure Ryan Murphy was cheated on, um, was <laughs> that 
that they needed something that big to break the relationship. Because, you know, with Finn and Rachel, it just is falling apart. And with, you know, Brittany and Santana, it's okay, we need to take a, you know, they kind of go on a more mature of end of like, this isn't working out, let's take a step back. But with Clean, I think it was like, I don't know, it just feels different. I'm not articulating myself well, but yeah. I do think that they needed something really big for Kurt to have stepped away. Right, that's what I was trying he to just say. Wouldn't, he just he wouldn't do it. Um, it's really interesting when you go back and watch this episode, because apparently I wasn't paying as close attention with the Britannia stuff, how much the way Santana feels about Brittany is the way Rachel feels about Finn, about this first really, really important person and how there was so much longing from one to the other. And it's like the, the Britannia basically is like the really respectful version of the Finchel relationship. It's done way better. Um, you could argue that's partially because these two are friends and they have an understanding of each other in a way that Rachel and Finn just don't. Um, but all of the stuff with Santana in this episode, I thought was really smart. She's either being totally obvious, like when she's making fun of Kurt and Vogue, even though she's obviously jealous or she's being, you know, you can either see right through her or she's being actually emotionally honest. Um, I think it's actually a pretty good episode for her. I wish she didn't have to do the left behind thing. That was dumb. But, you know, of course it had to be super weird and a little bit odd and a little bit dumb because it involves Brittany. And Brittany doesn't live in regular reality. Yeah, I could have just done without the newbie stuff. That felt... Yeah, sure. I I hear Jarley was in this episode. I, I ignored it. The first half of the episode is all this New York stuff and all of, you know, the Finchel, Blaine, and there is some Britannia stuff. And then when, like, the second half of the episode, you get into some of this newbie stuff and you're like, why are we wasting our time here? So, but anyway, we don't need to talk about that. It's like a college student going back to high school and wondering, why am I bothering with this? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're, we're still at Blaine at the doorway. He's waiting patiently. Um <laughs> <laughs> And he gives, uh, first of all, he gives Kurt these flowers, and, and Kurt is just, like, in love with this whole, you know, romantic thing of flowers. He's just so thrilled. I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the Blaine side, but Blaine sees Finn and Rachel, and he's like, oh, yay. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do I totally. have to deal with these people? <laughs> well, can you imagine? He probably had a plan that did not involve them. <laughs> So, anyway, I, we, I, it's been a while since I did that podcast. I don't remember what I said and didn't say. But, um, anyway, so, yeah. And, and then Kurt's totally, even Plain is still, is not, like, in the greatest place here. And, and Kurt's just like, yay, my boyfriend's here. Let's go have fun. We're going to go sing at a, you know, well, Kurt's not. But, like, we're going to go to a, this bar. How do I even get in? What is it? Uh, it's not a bar. What is it? A club? What kind of? What is callbacks, guys? I don't know. Uh, well, it seems like a karaoke bar. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be 18. Of course, Blaine looks like he's 30, so, I mean, you know, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, who brought the senior citizen? He's fine. Snarky, you're going to get hate mail. Grandpa. You gotta admit. <laughs> <laughs> we love um, Blaine. Come on, just say. I think there's something about it being... I know. I, just, I like him a lot. He's just adorable. 
They do say something about it being 18 and up. Okay. Or something. I don't know. All I remember is when they're there, Rachel orders a virgin amaretto sour, which would be like just the sour. <laughs> just the sour. So gross. <sighs> but is it is it like a, a Niada hangout or is this Niada just for Niada students? It's pro- no, it's probably just a hangout. Like it's a place that Niada students because Niada is just one building in New York, at, or just probably one part of a building in New York. <laughs> it's probably not even the whole building. And and the, I'm guessing that Callbacks is a uh, a bar that isn't very far away. Like maybe it's down yeah. the street or something. And that's Probably where all of the students go. So, um, well, let's talk about Callbacks. It's a really gorgeous place with all the Christmas lights. I'm like, I want to go here. It's all pretty. It's a very romantic setting. It is. Um, and, and yeah, so we get, they're all hanging out and having fun. And, well, Blade's not. He's sitting there quietly. Yeah, Finn's not having any fun. <laughs> Kurt is trying to have fun. Kurt is trying really hard, and he keeps, I mean, to Kurt's credit, he keeps checking in, like, are you okay? You seem a little, you know, he can't tell if Blaine's just, you know, needs a little bit of time, or is he going to be fine? And Blaine says a bunch, a bunch of stuff, which, under normal circumstances, would be like, yeah, I could see you'd be tired, it's fine. And yeah, Rachel you is can just, see like, this. steamrolling over Finn in such a huge way, it makes whatever Kurt's doing seem not that bad. In terms of like not paying attention, because Rachel's just full on not in reality. Yeah, but you can see that Kurt is aware that something is wrong with Blaine because I think yeah. the scene starts with him asking, and also I, I I just I assume he must be a bit confused of why Blaine came two weeks early. So it seems like Kurt is aware that something's wrong, and he's trying to talk to Blaine even though. Even though he, he he seems happy and he seems comfortable in callbacks, but he still is unsure why Blaine is there, I think. Yeah, and they have a history in their relationship that Kurt asks. Blaine won't tell without him asking. And so Kurt consistently asks, which is, I mean, that seems, you know, still seems like things are okay. <laughs> Things are fine. I could see. So Kurt is still going to a point where he's like, it's work, you know, it's workable. Maybe they're not having their best day, but, you know, he's probably seen Blaine tired before. You know, it's really a sad thought to me anyway. Kurt's hopes for this night, he, you know, oh. they're going to hang out. It's going to be the best oh. night ever. And he's probably going to end in sex. And he was going to be so happy. Oh. <laughs> and I just think about that. I know. Don't say it. I'm I'm going to cry again. I'm just I cry every time I look at. I watch this episode. It's like ten minutes of happiness, and then it's thirty minutes crying. So yeah. I mean, I'm sure Kurt. Kurt's dream date is what they like. Eat some sort of fancy, rich, probably French food. Sing karaoke. Eat dessert. Have sex in somewhere in that order. Like, those are all. And they dressed up fancy. Oh, yeah. Right? They did. I mean, you know, so far things are going great for him. Best night ever. (laughs) Yeah. He seems like he's been drinking a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So, 
Um, so yeah, first and first they have first we have to get through the Rachel Brody duet, um, which oh. doesn't really have any Kurt in it, but um, just give your heart a break. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we get it. Subtle. What's happening? <laughs> what is Finn thinking right now? <laughs> I don't know why it's not. Like Rachel sings a song and she has no idea, but she did try and sing it with Finn. She tried, and he resisted it. And so it should be a song as much to her as about anything else. But she's still, man, she's just clinging to it. Um, why did Kurt say he didn't want to sing again? Because he hadn't warmed up properly. He didn't want to be on page six. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like I, I have this. Um, I have this. Uh... Uh, still in front of me. Looks like Kurt's got a Coke. Or probably Diet Coke. Probably. <laughs> probably Diet Coke. It's either the water in the fancy blue bottles <laughs> or the Diet Coke. He doesn't drink anything else. Oh, coffee. I guess there's that. Well, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, Blaine's got a Coke, too, looks like. And Rachel and her not really alcoholic drink. <laughs> it's just the sour. <laughs> oh, it's so gross. <laughs> I feel like if you were drinking, like, just bitters. <laughs> so gross. But she sounds very grown up. So, there you go. <laughs> and she probably totally impressed Finn with her grown-upness. That is one of the big differences between Kurt and Rachel in this entire season, I want to point out. Rachel is trying very hard to be a grown-up because she's supposed to be a grown-up now. Whereas Kurt isn't trying so much as, you know, the adult world is like, hey, we're going to, you know, you're in it now, kiddo. You have to deal with it. And um, I don't think he's pretending the way Rachel is. So No, Rachel is very much doing a lot of performing across the board. Mm -hmm. But she's good at that. That's her strength. That's her go-to place. So, you know, I, I get it. Fake it till you make it. Yeah, but she did have to fake it as well. When she did go there, she was alone. So I guess she just felt she had to create something, uh, sort of a new persona to be Rachel in New York uh, on yeah. her own. Uh, so it, it makes sense though. And I just, uh, it, I uh, sort of ship uh, Rachel and Brody. <laughs> so yeah, I, I really like the way because they are like Ken and Barbie. Uh, in well, both in this song and in, in the beginning of season four, yeah, but you know, it's sort of fitting because she really integrated herself into this uh, world of um, of Brody and the uh, grown-up stuff that they did and everything with Cassie. So, yeah, I just I, I think it's sort of yeah it's a performance for her but it's still it fits the world she wants to be a part of as well so yeah well um speaking of performances um <laughs> let's talk about blaine's little uh, trip up to the piano <laughs> oh oh it hurts so much <laughs> um, I, I do know that I said over on the Blaine podcast, this is one of the most powerful performances this show ever did, at least in my opinion. So um, we get Teenage Dream, where Blaine just breaks down completely as he sings this. And and at the, I should preface with, um, you know, when he first starts out and he says, you know, this is the song that I sang the day I met my love of my life. And Kurt just lights up. He's just like, oh, yeah. 
Like this is That's such a boyfriend. Hamper moment. <laughs> this is you know this is our song. He's gonna play our song, and it's happy yeah. and just the way Kurt's face falls. And and I guess also when you think about the last time we had Blancing to Kurt, it was it's time and just how happy Kurt was during that time. Just so proud, you know, that that was his boyfriend and feeling so loved. And this is kind of like just the opposite. Just like the longer the song goes on, the longer things are not right. And this is this, the beginning of the shattering of Kurt's image of what his relationship is. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because Kurt takes it as such a, such a criticism of the relationship whereas Blaine understands it as a criticism of Blaine um, which is you know all sort of one and the same everyone's hurting everything's hard but yeah the the, the Klein stuff there's so many touch points and like really significant moments throughout their relationship that you know Blaine didn't even need to have the preface of like this is our song like everybody knew that was their song I mean, not anybody at callbacks, but it was just so fascinating to watch Kurt crumble and then, you know, slowly like Finn starts to get it. Rachel is the last one to notice. Again, Rachel is totally in a dream world. And by the end of the song, Kurt knows that this is a really big message to him, but he's, he just doesn't know what it is. He can't come up with what could be so wrong. I think it's because he can't fathom what Blaine could possibly be doing or feeling that would be this wrong. But isn't that what we were saying earlier, that it has had to be something as big as cheating uh, oh, yeah. to to be the end of the relationship? So he, he, he doesn't, he sees that something is wrong and perhaps more than he saw before, but he couldn't, he couldn't really fathom what what how big it was and neither could we uh, i suppose yeah i think kurt could have weathered a lot of storms in a very you know sort of grown-up way um but this this is just too much to his core which you know we'll get to that i'll try not to jump ahead (laughs) no i mean we're gonna get into that right now so okay yeah but I just I think you you, pam you were talking about uh blaine's acting but i just we I, I remember from earlier podcasts you've been saying a lot about Kurt's facial expressions and just he he doesn't really do, he he hardly smiles and it's just some in the middle of the song when he his face falls it's just it's just amazing acting and 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 you can see his jaw is just. Oh, his teeth are clenching and it's just he's so frustrated and angry with something he doesn't get. And yeah, I just they are both such good actors in this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think this. How do I say this? I think the both of them in this scene are stronger than they are in the next scene. Not and this is more of the next scene was filmed. After Darren Chris had been at the end of his um, Harry Potter stuff with Star Kid, and it was like a plane, you know, he had to hop in a plane that night and get over to New York from Chicago, and it was just a lot. And, and I, I don't feel like the acting was as 
strong, and I don't want that to come off as it was bad because it wasn't. And we do talk again a lot about that in the blade and stuff. But like this scene to me is a little bit more powerful than. Uh, it's also that the next scene's writing is a little bit not my favorite. But um, with this scene here, the thing with Kurt and the thing that's so great about Chris Colfer's acting is that. You know, you get this, he, he's, he's so happy at the beginning. He's just like, oh, this is great, this is beautiful. And the more it goes on, the more his face falls, and the more, you know, he's looking at, at, like something, th- there's this big thing that's wrong, and he doesn't know it. And it's everything that we were talking about, about how Kurt's just, you know, going to the things that are fine. He's not paying attention that there's stuff wrong with, with Blaine. And this, you know, this pedestal of that Blaine was on is crumbling down. And the fact that Chris can actually express all of that on his face as the song goes on is just really quite amazing. So, And then when they get to the walk in the park, you know, Kurt goes right back to the, okay, I'm checking in again. What's going on? Can I say one quick aside, though, about this next walk in the park? And I don't know, maybe I'll put this part out. You can tell Chris had done this scene a few times, but this is not the first take because... It, there's always it, there's already the the residue of him having cried already uh-huh. there in it. His eyes are a little glassy. His face is a little bit red. Like I'm yeah. pretty sure it's like the third or fourth take that they that this is particular. Um, but we, but it works for the scene. I'm not saying that it doesn't. I'm just and and Chris's acting in this scene is just amazing. He did amazing. look a bit teary eyed in in, in the callback scene. scene as well. So. So it doesn't. It it didn't struck me as you know uh, the third take, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. Can I just say I just love uh, if if you see when they're walking in the beginning and Kurt is uh, doing something with his hands, like mm-hmm. touching himself, and it's just it's like he's not holding hands with Blaine. He's just oh sorry I just I almost cry when I think about it because he, he does so, all, almost the same thing as he did in I think the first time when he's mm-hmm. just stroking uh, the back of the of his hand but he's so nervous and yeah I just and they don't hold hand he's holding his own hands and it just kills me yeah sorry yeah yeah it is a good it's a good parallel because he does that thing where he he's fiddling with his hands while his brain is working something out. Like he has a really physical manifestation of contemplation. It's, it is, it's really, it's great. Well, yeah, you will see that a little bit, like when it comes to be more, um, what's the word pronounced in wonderful when he's worried about his dad. Um, but yeah, I think this is a thing that Kurt does that he's nervous. I mean, you know, with all this, we were talking before about like Blaine wanting more physicality, but now that they're like in the same place and Blaine's got his hands in his pockets. I mean, he's not like, they have that one kiss at the, when they, when they show up together, which was, you know, like an automatic response to Kurt's like, Oh, Blaine's your kiss. But you know, they have been distant physically too. And that's purposely like, like down, you know? Well, Blaine can't fake it. And he's got no poker face with this. He he has a hard time starting it. You know, he doesn't want the floodgates to open because he has he has to admit something that he, he doesn't want to admit. Um, but he can't lie to Kurt in that way. You know, I'm glad that he I'm glad they don't drag it out. I'm glad this isn't like something that's 
you know, he's built up and, you know, they continue the relationship and they, you know, whatever. Cause I think that would have hurt Kurt more if Blaine had tried to pretend longer. Like Blaine did, you know, he cheated. And then the first thing he does is hop on a plane because he has to tell Kurt. Yeah. The way the week is set up, it's like, I, it's, it's almost like he cheats on like Wednesday, <laughs> you know, and on Friday there he is on his last minute flight. So we get this walk in the park. And most of it is dedicated to Finchel screaming at each other about things. Um, the clean scene is actually not very long, which is, uh, it always kind of strikes me when I, when I come back to it. It doesn't have to be. That's the thing. It's effective. You know, they don't have to hit us over the head with a lot of this stuff. I mean, and, and it's just, so Kurt's like, you know, I'm glad you're here. And Blaine's like, yeah. <laughs> and, Kurt's like, okay, you know what? <laughs> what? Like, what is <laughs> like, we're not going to try and do this. <laughs> what is going on? And so Blaine says that he's with somebody. And the first thing that Kurt says, you know, is who was it? Was it Sebastian? And I wonder if Kurt's one of the first things that Kurt thinks of is like, he thinks it's Sebastian. I'm going to go kill him or something like that. It's a very interesting, like, he wants to know who it was. Was is always like the first is the first thing that he says, which I think is interesting. Well, when you think about Kurt's mindset, it makes a lot of sense for him to think of it in terms of he's in a competition with somebody else. For someone, for him to win, someone else has to lose a lot of the time, and for him to be losing, somebody else has to be winning. And so when Blaine clarifies that it's not about the other person at all, it's about a something lacking within Kurt. That's what crushes him, you know, and, and because if it really was, you know, they parallel this with Rachel and Brody where it's like, you know, Brody doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what it is. What matters is the, is that I, I want to be with you. Nobody would matter. And Blaine's whole point is that it doesn't matter who it is because the problem is not a problem of this other person being better, more attractive, more of what I want than you. It's that you and I are having a problem. Like, you were insufficient to me. And it's so much more of a punch in the gut, I think, for Kurt than if it was. There was this guy, he was really attractive, and so I made a bad choice. Because Kurt talks about being tempted. He talks about, you know, seeing attractive people but not acting on it because he understands what that might possibly mean. And so for Blaine to do that, he would have all of the things that Kurt already thought cheating could possibly mean. And then layered onto that, the, the guilty feelings of you made this happen. I, I think also a lot of times we talk about is the fact that the fact that Blaine cheated, it's one of the most shattering things he could have done to Kurt because, you know, in the same way, like we, that Blaine, uh, Kurt pulling away emotionally is, really what is you know hard for Blaine the fact that Blaine was physical with somebody else that because he has all of these insecurities he's always does feel like he's in competition in a way you know the fact that physicality is very sacred to him it, it is you know on top of the fact that here is this you know uh, his prince his teenage dream that ideal is shattered is just I mean, I'm not surprised when Kurt just basically runs away from this conversation because it's yeah. not. 
I mean, how would you like if someone's like, I fucked a lighthouse, and by the way, it's your fault? <laughs> I mean, it's um, awful. <laughs> yeah, I, I think also, I just, uh, I don't know if, if it was intentional or not, but uh, when Blaine said something like, it doesn't matter who who I was with, uh, it sort of, uh, to me, I uh, automatically go for parallel to, to Bert saying, you matter, Kat, in oh. the... Um, uh, yeah, in the beginning of season two, when they had the sex talk, because to Kurt, this is like they uh, Blaine matters, but seemingly he he thinks Blaine didn't feel that way. I, I don't know whether the exact word was intentional to parallel that scene, but I just think it's interesting that the um, Kurt and his intimacy issues are paralleled in. Because Blaine say it didn't matter, so yeah, it's just uh, yeah that. That's such hurts. a great point. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I, and it, it could be you know completely random. I don't know. Uh, maybe I give the writers too much credit, but this is <laughs> I think this is a Ryan Murphy episode, and I feel he does it better than the other writers, uh, especially with Kurt stories so yeah i do think that ryan murphy handles clean a lot better than a lot of the other writers however i I pointed this out on the blame podcast i'll point it out here too um american horror story the first season i don't know if either of you've ever seen that um i watched it uh the first season when um when i found out darren was going to be on it and um something stood out to me and i had to go check dates um the first season of american horror story was written before this uh, they, they were on the same time but the pilot episode was written before this particular episode in season four of glee and the couple on that show and the pilot were having problems because the man cheated on the woman and the wife and the husband and wife thing. and their conversation in the pilot is almost word for word what Curt and blaine say in this particular scene <laughs> not kidding so no. um <laughs> <laughs> as much as we like to give I, I do give Ryan Murphy some credit for you know trying to handle his characters with care there was a little copy and pasting going on <laughs> now the American Horror Story couple spoiler alert um, live happily ever after even if they're both dead uh, but so Clayton's Clean, gonna live happily ever after too I, I mean and the point is that couple kind of had the same kind of you know they weren't communicating and they were kind of in different places and it was that whole storyline was about them figuring out their shit to get back together again. So at least, you know, it, it's, I don't know, it works. But I just thought that was really funny um, when I was listening to it. And a couple of lines were almost exactly the same. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so, yeah, Blaine gives his admission and, and Kurt just breaks down. And, and yeah, just that crying the part where he just bursts into tears is so hard. And it's not, we often talk about how Kurt has a pretty cry and this is not oh, pretty cry. No, it's snotty and <laughs> miserable. Yeah. This is like when I cry. Here's <laughs> <laughs> when like most people cry. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's really, and it, it, he does another one of those things where it's not, it's not just that he's sad. You can see a whole bunch of things going through his head. As he's like trying, you know, trying to wrap his mind around it. And then he, he's so overcome. He has to like physically take space from Blaine to be able to even 
process because it doesn't I mean his entire view of the world just got shattered yeah yeah and so did Blaine's I mean there's that great there's a great Tumblr tag out there somewhere of this episode of Blaine's and it's like it says Blaine doesn't look like he wants to wake up break up with Kurt Blaine wants to break up with himself which is true I mean that's what he looks like he just looks miserable um, the other interesting thing here is that one of the things that I had a hard time with when this episode first aired is that Kurt and Blaine didn't break up, really. And I think maybe I understand things a little bit better because here is not necessarily the breakup moment. This is Kurt breaking away to like uh, process. And later... We'll talk about the Vogue.com scene where it's kind of a metaphorical breakup. But I think that unlike Finchel and Bertana, which are definitely, okay, this story is done. We are pausing the story. It's not going any farther right now. Clay's story still gets to be continued and gets to be messy and gets to be not like clean lines. Um, So, I mean, Satana, Satana. Santana is, <laughs> she's really clear about it. Uh, again, she comes off as the most adult. Uh, Rachel famously says something really obvious, like, I am breaking up with you or something. I mean, the Finchel stuff is so heavy handed. Um, but you have Blaine remark, like, I don't even know if we are broken up. Which, you know. You know, on the one hand, it happens at the end of this episode. Blaine doesn't get to see it. Or on the other hand, you could say that it happens in Glees. Yeah. I mean, it, but it's, I kind of like that there isn't a clear line. This isn't like, yeah. it's not definitive because this particular story is going to continue all the way, you know, and ultimately all the way until season six when they finally get married and that's their happy ending. Um, but this breakup stuff is not a clean thing. It's, it's just, it, you know, here's getting middle end, bam. But no, it just keeps going and going and, and yeah. And yet I'm not bored with it. (laughs) Well, I will say this is, this is going to be, this is going to sound insane. This is way more interesting to podcast about in season three. (laughs) (laughs) Let's put the boys through pain. Yeah. This is more fun. (laughs) Hey, you know, make them cry. If only Kurt would get a song more often. Oh, I know. So I could get more of it. But that's fine. Santana got a song, which was amazing. That's a lot of agency for her. Well, and Rachel got her uh, technically a song through the my give your heart a break. Um, but yeah, I don't know if she knew it. <laughs> so yeah, we go into the "Don't Speak" montage. God, I, hate I, this I song. will say this: I fucking hate. I hate that song. But this is a really great use of that song. When I I was um, 13 or 14 when the song was out originally, and I was going through some hard stuff, not necessarily relationship-wise, but just in general in my life, uh, because middle school and early high school can be hard. And it was on the radio all the time, and it was so depressing. And I'm like, I cannot listen to this song. It's so depressing. Um, I think that it gives out the emotion that it's trying to portray very, very well. And so, yeah, I do think that this song is well suited for this moment, especially to wrap or to tie in all four of them together. I think they all sound really wonderfully on it. Um, yeah. And the montage is really kind of fantastic. Is there some it feels sort of Finn like and Blaine sound great. 
I just, it feels like uh, a musical, like it was uh, written for the for the plot or for the scenes because the, the song fits so well. Uh, sometimes you feel that Glee just throws a song into in between scenes, but here you can really feel that it's it was supposed to be a part of the episode. And yeah. I think, I, I don't know why they chose this song, but I feel that it, it sort of gave all the characters something meaningful to say to each other. Uh, so, yeah, it just felt like a, a musical number more than just a song that they sung. Well, in case you wanted to know why the song was here, Darren Chris suggested doing the song. <laughs> he said oh, in an interview okay. that he, he recommended them doing Don't Speak. So thanks, Darren. <laughs> I, yeah, wait, but he, he did write musicals, so he... he Sort of, uh, yeah, and he's probably just, yeah, he did write musicals, so he's sort of, I don't, I just assume he knows what's, what what could work, like, in the both. I don't know, I mean, yeah, I agree with you completely that he would know uh, what would uh, be a good song for this kind of thing. I don't know, like, he had suggested it as an offhand thing for Ryan Murphy to do at some point. It wasn't necessarily for the specific one. It just happened to be. But I, I, in, um, as another point, yeah, I do think Darren would know what would uh, would make a good musical song. Um, well, I also totally believe that he would like. No doubt, he's right. He's at the right age. He likes Hanson. <laughs> <laughs> that late nineties stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, Kurt's lines, because Blaine sings, you know, I really feel like I'm losing my best friend. I can't believe this could be the end. And Kurt sings, um, it looks as though you're letting go. If this is real, I do not want to know. Or I don't want to know. Yeah, and don't tell me because it hurts. Yeah. Oh, God, the song sucks. And I mean that, like, as in it's really hard to listen to. I, this is, I can listen to The Scientist, though. But this one I just can't go back to. I don't like it that much. But we get this montage of them. I always really like the one where they're sitting on the fountain in opposite directions. And it, they're lined up. They're obviously far apart, but they're lined up to look as if they are speaking to each other. But they're not because they are mm-hmm. in, uh, far apart. And I think that's a really cool visual effect. Yeah, it's a really strong one. There's um, there's another shot of Kurt. This is a, a kind of um, going back to the one we said earlier. But there's a, a shot of Kurt in the mirror. So this is the end of the night. He's sitting down looking, you know, not really at himself in the mirror, but he, now he's wearing all, you know, all black. And because it's right before they had the bed or whatever. And it's just such a darker moment than the very optimistic looking in the mirror earlier of the episode. It is some gorgeous sadness, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Blaine looks like he's been snotty crying for like five days. But he probably has, poor kid. (laughs) And Kurt's got this like old Hollywood glamour sadness going. Um, more lines they have. The Kurt says, "Our memories, well, they can be inviting, but some are altogether mighty frightening." And then Blaine says, "As we die, both you and I, with my head in my hands, I sit and cry." Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those times where the the parallel elevates what's going on with Finchel, because again, kind of don't care that much. But the fact that Finchel is linked into this, I said this during the first time podcast, I care about Finchel more because of how they get dragged along with a good clan story. And this 
musical montage is one of them when they're all getting in bed and they're on the separate sides and they all turn off the light. You know, if Clayton wasn't there, I don't think I'd care at all. I was going to say this is kind of the last time, but it's not. They kind of continue the Clayton Finchel parallels up and through I do. But then once the timeline starts to slow way down um, and the stuff with Corey is going on, um, it splits. That's when they start to get their own individual storylines. So when they start to wreck the Britannia storyline. <laughs> yeah, Kurt and Blaine end up in bed together, but not the way we want them to be. <laughs> no. And, and you remember the last image we had of them in bed together was them cuddle up after the first time, and now we have them turning away from each other. Still fully clothed, though. Just hard images. I always said that I don't think Kurt stays in that bed very long. He gets up, like, I don't know, after an hour of listening to Blaine cry, and then Heads out to the living room. I bet Blaine snores, too. <laughs> well, he slept. I doubt he slept that night. <laughs> I can't imagine what went on between the stuff in the park then getting back to the loft. That's always the, like, what happened there? I think in the end of the, uh, in the, uh, of the fountain scene, Kurt runs off. He does. So yeah, it's so uh, I think he runs back to the apartment, and uh, I don't know what Blaine did, uh, obviously, but see, Kurt I probably see... went to be alone or something. I could see Rachel going to walk with Kurt, and then Blaine having to walk with Finn. I guess. I I still think that all four of these characters are so wrapped up in their own head spaces right now that none of them want to be with any of the other of them. <laughs> I kind of concern sure. while wanting to be by themselves. But, I mean, it's totally open for interpretation. So Rachel seems like the only person who would want to be with somebody else. Because she's so used to going to Kurt when she needs I think this is the, kind of one of the few times that Kurt would not have been in any kind of mindset to listen to her stuff, though. Oh, yeah. I probably didn't even hear it. Because, yeah, now that I think of it, I'm trying to think if there's any kind of... Because the next time we see them is Gleese and... Rachel seems slightly unaware of what Kurt is going through. <laughs> I mean, so, um, yeah. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. Um, so we get to the next morning, and Kurt is sitting in that chair. And something that I, I thought was interesting was um, there was this GIF set going around, or maybe it was just a photo, but there was some meta attached to it saying, you know, this does, for some reason, this doesn't feel like Kurt in this scene. And um, it's somebody else replied, and I wish I remember who, so I can just um, cite them. Um, well, the way Chris usually plays Kurt is with this kind of like high confidence and this "I'm better than you" mentality, and just with this poise. And he doesn't have any yeah. of that. He's just shattered here. Yeah, it's super effective. His voice is low. He's rumpled. Um, he doesn't. He, he doesn't have that self-confidence, you know, that natural self-confidence that he gives himself. It's just gone. I mean, he's just broken down. To, I mean, he says it. I kind of feel like I'm going to die. I, I do think. Oh, sorry. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. I just want to say, I think, well, I, I, I shouldn't rely on uh, Glee timelines, but I think he said something about half a year ago. Who would have guessed things would be this bad or something when he's talking to Finn? Um, yeah. And like, I, I, so I actually checked it out, and that was uh, when Dance with Somebody was um, 
was airing or was supposed to be. So, so I think it wasn't. Things weren't as good uh, six months prior <laughs> as, as well. So yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, in in the timeline, isn't that when they're having their other issue? Which obviously, you know, they make up from that. Okay. Well, yeah, but think but, about. Okay, so think about that when you know, dance with somebody happens. And he works stuff out and he thinks that everything is fine with Blaine after that. Like, hey, we got my relationship, you know, my relationship worked itself out. We had this little bump. We're cool. I'm still hopeful for getting into Niata. I'm still going to New York. I'm, you know, <coughs> because right after Dance with Somebody is Choke and he has that, um, his audition, which he thinks is wonderful. So six months ago, everything was going great. Everything was perfect. And now, you know, he didn't get it to Niata. He moved to New York, but it's not as idealistic as he wanted it, uh, as he wanted it to be. Um, he's got Vogue.com, but it's still he's still struggling. And then this is this is like other than the beginning of the series, this is low as Kurt gets. I think. I mean, the thing is, Kurt is raised by Bert Hummel, who is an unconditional love machine. And I think that there is an element of Blaine that gives off that same sort of unconditional love that really resonates with Kurt. And I think that Kurt also gives that back out, though maybe he's not as obvious as he needs to be to the other people from time to time. So this whole thing is just so unfathomable to him. Because it's like, look, I said I love you. Case closed. I'm gonna be old together. We're done. Like, you know... We're like this is this is good. We'll get this sorted out. And I think that he just really felt like there was a foundation in a way that that Blaine didn't feel like he could trust. And it just makes you wonder so much about like what Blaine's, you know, backstory, home life, you know, what his sort of support system is like outside of the Hummel family. Cause it it makes total sense why Kurt takes on good faith that people who care about you say they're going to care about you, and then they care about you. That's how he behaves. That's how Bert behaves. Little mistakes here and there, but overall, like, you know, you just keep riding the ship if there's a problem. Just fix it. Yeah. Also, we we got to see them making up in Dance with Somebody, and... Also, they had this talk in uh, Goodbye, I think. Uh, so, uh, and, and there's a big time gap yeah. between those. So they could have had, you know, uh, the splendid summer and everything. And, and so we, we don't really know how, how well things have been going for them during the I've... summer. And so, yeah, I just, I want the summer episode, but yeah. I wish uh, we had some canon information about the summer. Because, yeah, because it kind of does seem like they had a pretty good summer. It just, Kurt starts to spin his wheels a little bit and Blaine doesn't want that for him any more than Kurt wants it, you know. And they make a really mature decision. But sometimes you can be making mature decisions that you're still also not quite mature enough for. You know, Blaine wanted him to go and didn't want to lose him in the same way that Finn put Rachel on a train but then also wants to show up whenever he wants and have her be in love with him again. Does a yo-yo thing. Not that Blaine does that. Finn does a yo-yo thing. I'm just saying, you know, there's the the best intentions of what you're trying to do as these mature grown-ups who are like freshly 18. Uh, and then there's all the things that push and pull on life. 
Um, something else kind of going in a different direction that I wanted to bring up is that this idea that Kurt's pretty resilient in a lot of ways. He, he deals with all the bullying stuff. He deals like he and Rachel didn't start off with great. They were adversaries for a long time. There are very few people that Kurt completely a hundred percent trust. And I would say Bert, I would say Mercedes and I would say Blaine. And I think that one of the reasons this is so hard for him and why he's going to have so many trust issues coming out of this is that he, Brilliant is one of the very, very, very few people that he trusted implicitly. Like, I mean, there's very few people that he sings emotional songs about in the choir room. It's just Bert and Blaine. That's it. And even Finn, because he does sing an emotional song to Finn, but even Finn yeah, that's was sort of about to his own boner, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> even, like, every other character I've, on the show, Kurt has gotten into some kind of something with at some point in time, mm-hmm. except for Bert, Blaine, and um, Mercedes. And the other thing that I wanted to, like, the one thing that I think is nice coming out of it, too, is that Kurt says a lot of nasty things at Rachel throughout the years and a lot of people, even though Blaine has hurt him so badly, he never gets vicious at Blaine, which I think is really telling too. Just throwing that out. Yeah. I mean, he does, he gets vicious. You could say when he says that he doesn't trust him anymore and Glees, that's like, you might as well have said some really, really nasty thing. Like, that's pretty bad for him. But he doesn't, he doesn't just, he's not just mean to him. And it's very much like, I don't, like, I, you know, you're not a terrible person, but I don't trust you. Whereas San- Santana would say something like, you're an awful person across the board. Yeah. So anyway, going back to the scene, uh, Finn comes out. And one of the reasons this is such a extra heartbreaking scene I think is because this is the last time Kurt and Finn will be on screen together because they just yeah Finn stays in McKinley and Kurt oh I guess it's not because they have that scene in Glees but this is the last time it's just the two of them this is Mm -hmm. the last scene between the two of them it's their last brotherly scene it's interesting too because you know Finn's sneaking out and Kurt says you can't just run away and turns on the light and I, I think he he can't possibly think it's Blaine because the shadow would be like two feet too high, but <laughs> but it's sort of left in this line that you you can't tell if he's supposed to, if he thinks he's talking to Blaine or if he thinks he's talking to Finn. Like either way, like you can't just run away, right? And I also thought it was interesting that he offers to say something to Rachel on behalf of Finn, which is very brotherly and sweet. But also, I think that he understands that, like you know, Rachel keeps being abandoned with no information uh, and I think that as her friend he understands that that's that's not working for her mm-hmm. I think also it might be a little easier to take on Finchel's problems than deal with his own I think that it's I mean he's definitely doing a brotherly and a best friendly thing here in this but also well I'm used to dealing with their crap it'd be just a break from what I have to deal with and when when Finn and Blaine go home, he and Rachel are in the loft together. Yeah. Like, a lot. <laughs> I don't think they're necessarily talking, though. Except for Rachel probably is crying a lot, and then it's like, you know what? Screw all men. I'm going to go live my life. Because that's kind of where she's mm-hmm. at when we get pick up with them in Greece. But 
but no. And so yeah, um, Finn takes off and they get this hug, and it's just it is really kind of special, especially since it's the last time they really get to have an interaction with each other. So it's left up into the air exactly what happens with Blaine. I mean, we don't understand until we see Blaine and Finn talk about how uh, apparently Kurt was waiting up and going to accuse Blaine of, you know, running away. But then when Blaine gets up, Kurt won't talk to him. I think it actually <laughs> makes sense, though. I, I, I personally think <laughs> that, you know, it, maybe just because and this is me self-identifying, but. Like, I have all these things I want to say. I want to, you know, I'm sorting this out. I'm trying to say what I want to say. And then when you're faced with that, you know, here you go, say it. And you just stop. You can't talk. Like, you can't say. There is nothing that I can say. Like, none of these really, you know, half-formed or fully-formed thoughts in my head are are coming out because I cannot with this situation. So that's just my own personal projection on it. I can kind of, uh, all I see, and I guess since I, I wrote this particular scene in one of my fics, um, was just that Blaine comes out and, and says a few things, and, and Kurt just sits there. And just yeah. sits there. Doesn't even say anything. Well, I mean, he doesn't want to say all the terrible things. He still doesn't want to. And he made promises, and he wants to be good on those promises. So I could also see on some way, in some level, that he's he feels contained until he gets himself sorted out like he is in Gleese where he feels like he has enough awareness of everything that he wants to be able to explain it. And there's also, you know, you get to be so when you're in that very, very emotional state, sometimes things just can't like you can't make header header tails sense of anything and, um, so this is the, like, there's a big gap. This actually all takes place within like the first 25 minutes of the episode. And then we get a lot of newbie stuff and a lot of the left behind stuff. And, um, we get Blaine coming back. Um, and one thing I mentioned on the other podcast was that, you know, Blaine is kind of alone. Uh, cause when he comes back and Finn's like, why'd you do that? He's automatically into the brotherly mode. And a little bit is probably self-projection from Finn's point of view anyway. But then Blaine goes and sits off in the side of the corner, you know, all by himself in the choir room. It's very sad. Yeah, it's a hard one because it's all in the same moment of Finn trying to get his mojo back and showing up in the glee club and finding a place for himself as a leader when he, you know, announces that they're going to do Grease. And it's really funny because, like, the stuff with Finn and Will is all about this fragile male ego and it's so wonderfully explained in that moment where it's like Finn comes in and he triumphantly leads these people to do this thing and make this decision and everybody's happy. And up until that point, he's just lost and confused and doesn't know what's going on. Uh, and at the same time, like Blaine's in the room, you know, like, and he's getting nothing from this group of people. No. Oh my God. It's really one of the heartbreaking scenes in the whole episode just to see Blaine. And Blaine's yeah. going to be like that in, through dynamic duets, which is only a couple more episodes, yeah. but still. I mean, it's a little bit self imposed. And I t- fully enjoy the joke where the newbies, like, everybody's excited about Finn, and the newbies are like, who is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> so. And Unique wants to do Hedwig. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes. Oh, that would be wonderful. So, uh, going into the last Kurt scene before the the last song, is this little little tiny I, every you know it's very easily skipped. I think it's only like thirty seconds long, 
um, sceneofcurtatvogue.com. And he's got flowers, uh, which are obvious. Oh, I can't back. skip it. I watched it like five times in my rewatch. No, no, I meant like when I'm like scrolling through the episode, like when I'm trying oh. to find something, I could I couldn't get find the scene. I had to watch like the scene oh. before it because I couldn't find it. It was so short. No, we wouldn't oh. skip it. Oh my gosh, he's in his little intern closet, and he's got his flowers, which are from Asian F, um, which is you know when. Uh, Kurt gave Blaine flowers. They were these red and yellow, which I'm sure is purposely done. Again, it's another clean touch point that they don't need to explain to us because we all already got it. <laughs> we're like, see the flowers? I'm in. I get it. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, and then in comes Chase, who's like, hey, uh, and what's going on? Where are the flowers? And Oh, and Kurt says they're from the cutest. And the cutie and Kurt is, I mean, heartbreak looks good on him. <laughs> he's clearly dressed like he's in mourning. Absolutely. Which he, which he will be for most of the rest of the season. <laughs> like yeah. Kurt's wardrobe changes to black and, and really yeah. this whole season has a darker feel to it. Like atmosphere. It like it, everybody like the loft is a dark set. Niata has kind of a dark set. Uh, Rachel and, and Kurt wear darker clothes. Um, Kurt's definitely in mourning. Um, but I, I do think it's also interesting, like, this guy, I mean, I don't think Chase was ever intended to be anything more than just, like, two-bit part, but just kind of like, hey, you want to, like, you know, Isabel will give you a half off, and hey, what's going on? And that's a bummer. He's cute. And Kurt, no. It's just not even paying any attention. He's still yeah. very... It's an interesting uh, comparison between Kurt and this in this environment that's fairly supportive and Blaine when he's in the glee club like hurting and nobody sees it but that slow-mo throwing of the adorable note into the trash can <sighs> ouch <laughs> and before that Chase asks if he's okay and Kurt says I'm okay I'll be okay yeah. and like he has to like put a game face on and he changes a little bit but he's just down and he's just like I'm okay and then like wait a minute wait a minute I'll be okay He's going to try and power through this. Like, he tries to power through everything. Every time Kurt hits a rough patch, you know, the stuff with Finn isn't going well. Went back in season one. I'm going to power through it. My dad may not love me anymore. I'm going to power through it. The stuff with Krofsky is going on. I'm going to power through it. And he keeps trying, and he just doesn't, like, Kurt, you need to, like, sometimes... I don't see that. I don't read that as powering through it. I read it as, I'm going to build myself up. something else has broken me and I'm going to like from the ground up build back my self-confidence like I'm gonna grow and be okay about this well that's what I mean it feels very much like a a very empowering total Kurt Hummel name in lights kind of thing where he's like I'm gonna be fine I I will go I I will be whatever I need to be and I will work on myself and I I will not let this crush me not like i'm not paying attention to it and yeah that's what i meant head. it's more like he's gonna go back to the basics of who he is as a person right well yeah but, but I, I, I do think that sometimes like sometimes it, it is it backfires because when we get into the season six stuff he or like even the later season five it's more of you know okay we're gonna you know and it's i how am I, what am I trying to say? Because I agree with you. I think that's what he's doing more of, like, uh, Rachel's the one who's ignoring everything. But totally. sometimes you do need to take a step back and really look at the situation and, like, be, and it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to, like, not be okay. 
Um, but I think, uh, or I, you're probably going to talk more about the note, or did you talk about that in the other podcast? The note Blaine left for Kurt in the uh, flowers. Yeah, we did. I, think, we did. Uh, I mean, yeah. we can talk because, about it yeah, here, but we talked about it. <laughs> yeah, just I, I just, I just, it felt so. I don't know, lacking. I, I, I just, I wish. We, yeah, I just. Oh, it's here's and, the thing. Yeah, I don't know how flower delivery works outside of the United States, but in the United States, if you order flowers on the internet or over the phone, you like, you relay a message and. So, like, the florist who delivered those flowers wrote that card. So Blaine's not going to get into, like, mega detail because there's a third-party intermediary writing that card and doing some of it. Um, And so he's just sort of – I think he's letting the flowers speak, not the card. Because the card is, like, on one hand, sad. On the other hand, hilarious because he's in the doghouse, you know? (laughs) Yeah. No, um, I just I think it would be more uh, poignant if yeah. it was text messages or if you left a voicemail or something and Kurt was either I, ignoring. I think or he's doing or... all of those things and he's yeah. writing letters. He's doing all that stuff. I mean, it's sort of telling that you know Kurt throws the card away, but not the flowers. That's a good point. But anyway, I'm going to pin that for a second. Going back to the other point, we will learn in the next episode. Kurt or Blaine is doing everything that he can to get. Kurt's forgiveness, but also to get in touch with him. Whereas Kurt has shut him off completely. Kurt has not talked to him. Kurt won't speak to him. He will not pick up the phone. He's not answering text messages. He's not replying in any way because Kurt's like, you know what? I'm, I'm, it, it, we, we, we're going to get into it a little bit in Thanksgiving, but Kurt is like, if I just cut this off here, then I can be done with it and I can move on. See, I think he's trying to simplify all of the input into himself so he can be okay. Yeah. He's trying to quiet all the extra noise and get to a place where he can even handle it. He can't hear it. I mean, it's just, it's too much. That too. Um, With the notes, I think Glee was trying to go for a funny moment when it really, there was just a misstep on their part. I just don't think the note works for me. You have this very rather serious episode and then just to be like, hey, I'm in the doghouse. Ha ha ha. It, it, it lightens a rather like now in the next episode when again, the florist picked the card <laughs> when when Blaine is joking about, you know, when it's over the top melodrama, when he sings his audition that works for the comedy. But here your tone is serious. And I think that that the card doesn't necessarily work. But um, but yeah, this is the my interpretation of a metaphor of this is the where the breakup happens was Kurt throws it into the trash but I yeah. do like your point that he keeps the flowers I mean it's not over now in between this and because this is the last time we really see Kurt in the episode before the last song um we get the Britanna and we get the Finchel breakups and it's interesting to me the one thing I was thinking about this morning is that you have Rachel and you have Santana and both of them are saying to their significant others, look, I have to take a step back. I, you know, I'm in a different place. You, you're you in a different place. And for our relationship, for their differing reasons, we need to take a step back. But, fit, but Kurt doesn't have that conversation with Blaine because it's just a different story in some ways. Yeah. I really liked uh, Santana's breakup. I think she had 
good reasons for it. She's incredibly nice. I mean, it's, it's very moving to her. Um, Again, I've said this before, like how I wish a lot of Santana in New York before she gets back with Britney would have been her just serial dating because they set up this idea of this energy exchange. And so I was hoping that they were going to continue basically Santana everywhere she goes, having these like energy exchanges with women all throughout New York. That was going to be great. Um, But Santana is shockingly wise, you know. And she, and of course, the stuff that she says is like the super meta point about the other people breaking up. Yeah, with the cheating and needing things you can't get from them. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. As I said earlier, I find I love how how they they did probably what Finch and Klein should have done earlier on, uh, or at least had the conversation. They. The breakup conversation for between Santana and Brittany was the conversation that the other couples needed to have a few months prior, but didn't. So, I don't know yeah. if I necessarily agree with needed to, though. I mean, they could have, and it would have been a, a story, and it would have worked, and it might have been a, a mature thing to do, and that's what a lot of high school couples do. But I, I kind of like that they didn't. I kind of like that they tried to make it work. And I don't necessarily think... You know, I I think at this point, yeah, it's not a bad thing, especially for Blaine to <laughs> to take a step back and, and work on himself a bit. But um, I don't think it would have been impossible for them to continue dating. I think that they could have, you know, kept going and tried to work things out. And there's another story that could have been an alternate story to tell. There is a story. Oh, but I didn't mean that they needed to break up. I just meant that they needed to have the conversation of of the um, difficulties of having a long-distance relationship with the, uh, I need something that you can't give me, and what about other people and those things. And Santana decided to break up with Brittany, but I think if, if, Klein had those discussions during the end of season three and in the new Rachel, I think they could have avoided the breakup, even though I, I loved the breakup, not both the episode and what the actual breakup did for their uh, arc. Uh, but still, I think that that would have been a conversation that could have helped them. Uh, so, yeah. You know, it- you there? Okay, just as a side tangent, really quickly, um, kind of going off of what you said, I think that there are stories. Um, I kind of look at the office when with the, the Jim and Pam couple that they were once they got together, they were done. They, they were together. They had a couple issues here and there, and and then the last season of the show, there was a bigger issue, and they stuck through it and, and whatnot. And I think that you can write a couple in a, uh, a relationship for a long period of time and have them stay together and et cetera, et cetera. But when I look at how Ryan Murphy and his writing team writes, they are not necessarily good at writing couples together for long periods of time. Um, with Clayne, we get season three and they just don't get much to do at all. Finchel didn't always work when they were together. Uh, Britannia didn't really have much to do. And there for because of the way the writers are, their writing was better when they were trying to get people back together or when they were broken up. Um, so I think this art works really, really well 
it's going to go a little bit weird because of the time stuff that happens at the end of the season. But I don't know. I'm, I just, my long winded saying when long winded way of saying that I, I think this arc breathed some life into this storyline that it needed and gave Clayne, especially Blaine's more focus and character development. And yeah, I do think that Kurt needed more too. Um, they always need more, but I'm just talking in circles. So you guys. Also, I think, I think Rachel needed a, a last straw, you know, Ra- Rachel needed a reason to be mad and to go to Finn righteously upset and basically say, this is it. I'm done. You're very, very important to me. I'd love for you to come back into my life at some point, but you know, this is not okay. And she doesn't do that very well. Do you guys look at the Britannia and Finchel ones and see a sense of finality in it, though? Like, every time I watch both of those scenes, there's something... I mean, I know Britannia, like, Santana is like, oh, yeah, you'll, you you know, we might get back together at some point, or, you know, you're always going to be... This is just on pause, but I don't know. I feel like there's a sense of finality with both Finchel and Britannia that we don't get with Clayton. Well, we had no idea what Santana was going to do, so... That one I'm going to put in the, I don't know, column. Um, Finchel, it's really clear to me that this was it until the last episode of this series. They were going to be broken up, I hope. Um, but yeah, the, the Klain stuff is so, so different. You know, it's not just about having an argument or having a thing. It's it's It feels more like part of a journey. Perhaps that's why they didn't write uh, as explicit breakup for them for for their story more to continue throughout season four while both Finchel and Britanna sort of didn't have any more in the next episodes or in the next season so, I don't know I do think that had the the timeline not been elongated I think the original plan was to have Clay back together by the end of the season yeah, I think that makes sense. And they were, you could, it, it feels like something they were working towards, which is so different from, you know, when Rachel, I really liked when Rachel shows up in the auditorium because she finally did some things that she didn't do throughout season three. And we, we get Rachel start to become Rachel again. And she shows up and, you know, Finn's basically gone dark on her again. And, you know, I get that he's working on his new life and he's trying to become the new Will Schuster and all that stuff. Like, we're starting that here. But, you know, she's tried to contact him. He won't respond. She's driven all over Lima. And, you know, she finally finds him here. And they have some really terrible dialogue that it's just too heavy handed for me. And partially it's like, you know, like I was saying before about how the claim stuff, like you don't have to remind us about their important moments. Cause we all already knew it, you know, all of it. Rachel goes out of her way to point out that that auditorium is where they met for the first time. They kiss for the first time. That's where he proposed and where they're going to have this big breakup. And I get that there's a lot of important stuff that happens in the auditorium, so it's not quite as singular as like a hallway in Dalton or a staircase. But, you know, one of the things that doesn't work for me about Finchel is that we have to be 
reminded about these. Like it should be apparent to us that like, oh yeah, he proposed here and now they're going to break up here. But I so very much don't care about Finchel that until she said it in this really awkward way, I had forgotten that this was this was kind of their place. Which is interesting when you think about Rachel in terms of a performance and who she is and what she's trying to do. And half the time when she's supposedly talking to Finn in this breakup scene, she's looking out at the audience or the non-existent. She's looking out at the chairs, you know, like she's still performing the person she wants to be. And I really enjoyed the fact that she says, you know, I don't need you to give me my my freedom. I am a grown woman, you know. They go back to that being a man thing, which just makes me want to barf every time. But she does a good job of sort of trying to have a little bit of agency in it. Um, but she's she very clearly states who she is, what she wants, kisses him goodbye. You know, she's wearing her adult Rachel Power outfit. She's got the giant hair and the tall boots and maybe no pants. I don't know. I don't know if it was shorts or tights or whatever. But she looks super empowered and she says... You know, she very clearly defines who she is and what she wants in their special place that holds a lot of meaning for her. Um, I think Lee was smart to do it. I wish that they were able to do things more subtly. Like I said, with Teenage Dream, Blaine didn't need, I mean, I realized he had to tell the people at callbacks that, but Blaine didn't need to tell the audience that this was their song in the same way that Rachel needed to tell Finn that this was their place. You know, and it, it's interesting because um, there we were, just because with the rewatch we were doing showmance and that gifs that came around with uh, Finchel's first um, first date, I guess the picnic on the thing and the kiss and everything. And and was it you Snarky that mentioned it about being like a performance or the script said something about showmance? Yeah, sure. the um, that the script said that you know you know in the moment it's you know it feels like love and everything is wonderful and perfect. But, you know, then the scene ends and the show is over and you move on. Yeah. How fitting. I know. And, I, I, they, you know. Yeah, unintentionally well done. I know. I'm like, <laughs> Finchel wasn't supposed to, it was supposed to be this long, you know, actual romance romance. But to me, it always feels like this, you know, show, this performance. And the reality is that this relationship doesn't work. And I'm sorry, Finchel fans. I'm sorry. I always feel bad, but. But it is it is a, a, a great callback to the showman's meta of, you know, it's a relationship that feels really important while you're in rehearsals. But once the show is over, it's done and you have Rachel there on the stage talking out to the auditorium and basically eventually leaving that stage. She's gone. She's in New York. She's done. It's so poetic in some ways. That all of these scenes <laughs> take place on good. a stage. Um, <laughs> the performance is now, now done. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. we don't. in we don't get Clayne in the same kind of framing. Clayne is, Clayne has got its own fairy tale stuff going on, but it's not, you know, the show is not over. We don't, I was, I remember I was very upset with this episode, you know, just because they're breaking up, but like in general, because they didn't get more to do. But now that I'm way far away from it, I think that I've softened just because their story, as I've said a million times before, does not end here. This is a middle point. We are in the middle season of, this show and there's still going to be two more seasons of development and growth towards an end goal of happily ever after. Um, yeah. The, the fairy tale ish aspect of their young love is over, but this is just, you know, the next part of it. Um, and it's still the middle of their overall story. It also feels like it's been a part of a long arc 
from the beginning or the middle of season three and things are going downwards and they it's just I don't think in the next episode but in Glees you get the continuation of their story so so you get it all along even though you you don't get it that much in this episode you could see the story um throughout the uh the end of season three and throughout season four so so it doesn't even though it's not enough i would have loved to watch them talk and cry and argue and fight and love and everything for two hours every day but you know it's it's still we we got a lot and we got it sort of continuously Uh, yeah i agree and i also think that the the way that clean is written and performed is is tight it's it's concise it's so well done that you know they can have a one minute scene and come away with the same amount of effect of a five to ten minute finchel scene again i would happily add an extra 30 minutes of them just like cleaning the bathroom i'd watch that (laughs) but we don't need it because it's i mean i would i would take it but the clean stuff is so effective that it's not really comparable in the same way. Can I can I say something? I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or if you guys can tell me I should cut this thought, but I think that both Chris and Darren are higher caliber actors too. I think that they resonate and sometimes take some of the writing shortfalls and are able to do a lot more with the quite a lot less that they're given. Um, and, and that's not, I I don't think that's an unpopular opinion. I think that's a given. Okay. I just, I mean, it's not any, it's not even me trying to don't, you know, like, I don't think that either Corey or Leo were bad actors. I just think that these two were really phenomenal in these parts and the way they're able to, you know, they have such great chemistry, but they have, so they were able to play off each other so well that it's just kind of amazing the stuff that they can do with such little material and their story is is tightly written in a way that you know we've got a hallway we've got a staircase we've got a song we've got you know we've got the way they hold hands we've got particular we we have touch points in each thing where there are so many places to have an homage to some other clean moment or just a nod to it that it's it's such a strong, strongly built story that it doesn't require reminding the audience of some of these obvious things. Or like they do with Britannia, where they, they have to backfill things that they didn't actually do. You know, they have to go back and say Santana was pining forever and ever and ever because we didn't get to see that. I mean, she was a little bit in season two, but... Um... Uh, one other thing that I noticed, and I promise I'm not forgetting about the scientist. Um, I really, I'm just like, that. listeners are like, when are they going to get to the scientist? Come on, are you going to get there? Yes, I will, I promise. Is that, you know, I was thinking about both Finchel and Britannia end their kind of scenes with a kiss goodbye. And claim yep. um, they don't get that. They get their kiss at the beginning. They get their hello kiss, uh, which I think is interesting too. Um, I don't know. Well, I can say why. Kurt doesn't say goodbye. There you go. It's done. This claim stuff writes itself. <laughs> Sorry. 
Like, I have been pondering this for years. Well, this is why. Why have you not been paying attention? <laughs> Where are they going to get engaged? Dalton Staircase. Was there another option? No. no. <laughs> uh, so, uh, okay. So, and then we have The Scientist, which is the last song of the um, episode. Oh, I forgot about the women. There's women drama in this because that's why they're in this song. There is Wemma drama, and I love it. Again, Will Schuster is the villain, because when they have an argument, and Will says, we're not done talking, and she's like, oh no, we're done. You just don't like what I had to say. And she walks away, and I'm like, that's good. Walk into the sunset. Leave him now. <laughs> yeah, why did they not break up? Run! <laughs> why did she ever leave John Samos? That's just tragic. <laughs> yeah, but both, both Rachel and Emma got to be they got to have their own agency. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, whoa, Giddy did something good with women. So. I mean, Wemma yeah. also points out that, like, I don't want to miss out on my job, not because I can take the time off, but, like, because I like my job and I do a good job. You clearly don't in both categories. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can go away and just hand your job off to Finn. Sure, why not? Like, no big deal. Like, you're that replaceable. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, so going back to the song, uh, we we get the scientists, which is really it's just it's hard song. It's a hard song for a lot of reasons. Um, Clay, Clay, Kurt's verse. Uh, God, talk about you, you, talking about snarky that you, you don't need the you know the references are just there. We know them. You don't need it, but the goddamn puzzle. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I I was just guessing at numbers and figures, oh. pulling the puzzles oh. apart. <laughs> pulling the puzzles apart my god but that's great i mean like the fact that they you know in teenage dream was a sobbing mess you know oh that was yeah that was hard i mean i like i like that finn and blaine and santana all say take me back to the start i think that's a really great place and then later on kurt and Brittany and rachel all say nobody said it says it was easy those are some great like groupings of lines but that Kurt line about the puzzle pieces it's like I don't even hear the rest of the song I'm just busy being sad there's no there there you know that's probably the most perfect line of this whole <laughs> whole song um and we also get um I'd love to hear your guys thoughts about this we get these back to the start flashes and Finn Finchel and Wemma get their first kiss but Clean and Britannic, because there's a lot of backlash over this. Mm. Uh, there's no gay kissing. There's None. no gay kissing. No, que- no queer kissing. Mm-mm, not happening. You can snuggle and you can slow motion run. That's it. <laughs> that you can't kiss. Well, and both of them have already, I mean, they have had kisses in the scene, but I don't know why. I don't know why they weren't. Now, Britannic's first kiss is kind of awkward because it's um, the first time we see them kiss was it during Heart. And um, it's not really, I don't know, I, I, I wish they had a better. Well, the thing is, what they're trying to do is they're trying to go back to, you know, they're trying to so, show these initial moments. And so Finchel has that picnic and the kiss. I don't, you know, the picnic and the, I feel like they should have chosen one. Um, and the kiss is kind of odd because if you remember, it's also played for comedy because Phil, it, Phil, what's his name? Finn. <laughs> ejaculates like m- maybe just the picnic maybe they could have done well and they could have done like way too much too ejaculating in season one <laughs> i mean but, um, like if I, I think oh go ahead sorry no go I, ahead. No, i just want to say that um 
Finn and Rachel, even though they sort of knew each other in uh, the first two episodes. No, in, in, in the pilot, they didn't have, like, a connection. It seemed like it was only Rachel pining over Kurt, over Finn. <laughs> so, uh, That's a whole so, show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's so. So I feel that that was the first time when they actually had like a connection, mm-hmm. and that's sort of similar to, you know, we all saw the immediate connection between Kat and Blaine in in Never Been Kissed. So, so I don't think, even though I would have loved a flashback to one of their kisses or the kisses in uh, in original song, it seemed still seemed natural to me because the start of Finchel wasn't pi- the pilot. I think it was showman's. So, yeah. Well, the thing is that's, you know, of course, irritating again is that Finchel gets two flashbacks and everybody gets one. So they do this thing with the picnic and then the kiss. And then they show Clayne in the hallway, slow motion running, which is all you need. Like we're in the Clayne, you know, we're already crying. <laughs> yeah. And then we were crying way back to Britannia. And then it skips to Britannia, so people are like, wait a minute, where's my kiss? And Britannia just get this, like, snuggle, which, okay, they had to recreate something, so that's fine. They couldn't go back too far, otherwise it wouldn't have that emotional resonance. And then they skip again, so it's like two flashbacks, one of them being kiss, then one flashback, then one flashback, then another person who gets one flashback, but it's a fucking kiss again. And so all the people who are doing the comparison game are just, like, upset. Well, on top of that, I don't... As much as, you know, we're always like, yeah, I'm going to leave Will, blah, blah, blah. My mom didn't really even need to be here. This, I mean, there was barely no, much of a... Yeah, they just added it so they could be in the song. And, hey, we're throwing couples, you know, in there. Let's talk about the time that Webba made out. It's just... It's frustrating that... I mean, the Finchel stuff, whatever. They're, spo- they're framed as the A couple, they're supposed to be the you know the big romantic story of this entire series, sure, whatever. A lot of people were confused. Did Wemma break up? <laughs> Wemma did not need to be there. They are not the no. students. They are an adult relationship. It's a different set of circumstances. They really aren't. And they didn't break up. up. And they didn't break up. There's really no reason for them to be there, and it felt gratuitous because they just wanted to add them in there, and then then. Then to throw in that, I mean, there were lots. I mean, that's episode 13 that they kissed. There's lots of little googly eye things they could have done for the first 13 episodes that, that they could have added in there. And they didn't. And it just, whereas I don't mind necessarily what they were going for with the Britannia and Clean stuff, it just feels like off kilter. And coming out of the season three where everyone was so upset about the lack of everything, Seriously. you know, it's so misplaced. I just have to mention, but I noticed this when I was re-watching the episode yesterday, that in the uh, Wemma flashback, on the wall behind them, there's a sign saying sex with, like, a cross over it. So it's sort of <laughs> foreshadowing for their relationship. Yeah, so it's just, like, oh, a sign in the hallway. It says, yeah, so, yeah. They were, yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, yeah. But I, I, I completely agree. They didn't have to be there because they didn't break up. I think... Um, Jake and Marley broke. No, no, Jake no, and Kitty broke up. But they, they, they weren't like relevant to us as viewers yet in this this song. But I, I don't get why, why Will and Emma were there. Uh, I wish they would have had a better Britannia flashback. I feel like that would have taken the sting off it a little bit because the Britannia flashback really isn't very good. It's just some like canoodling in the choir room. 
it's really, really mild. Even in terms of a memory, like I didn't remember it. I thought maybe they just like made that one up. Yeah, no, no, it's there. It's somewhere. I don't know where it is. Yeah, but it's still, but it's like, there's all this other iconic stuff and it just, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't measure up with the rest of it. More opinions that may or may not be popular. Britannia didn't, you know, we talk about Clane iconic moments. We talk about Finchel, even though they're kind of forcing those kind of iconic moments, they have iconic moments. Finchel, we are having an iconic moment right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Even Wemma has a few iconic moments, but Britannia really doesn't. They we were back not till later. Yeah. So no. I I understand that like if you're you're trying to you now just take this you took this relationship that was really background and you didn't do anything with it for the entirety of you know that you were trying to do something with it. And now you're trying to force it onto the same stage as all of these power couples. Mm-hmm. It, it's okay. I mean, I mean, you just can't, you can't put a Britannia snuggle right after a slow motion hallway run. I mean, you just can't and have it be effective. Well, and I also, I mean, not to, I don't want to um, lessen the significance of Santana being a lesbian and the, the amount, because I know a lot of people attached to that story at the end of season two. And I think, it was significant for her. It was significant for the show. I think, uh, you know, a lot of good things came out of that. And I think that there was a lot of positive, rightful attention given to that. I'm not trying to downplay any of that. But the Clay storyline and the Kurt storyline of season two was so big and so, like, monumental to the show. But to, like, culture, it kind of just, like... It started to have, you know, was part of this bigger conversation that was going on at the time. And then, you know, Santana's uh, and being a lesbian came out of that. But it almost feels like that was, you know, that running down the, the hallway was just a bigger moment. <sighs> well, I think I, I agree because I think that um, my criticism of it, my criticism of all this kind of stuff is, is a criticism of the way Glee didn't do Britannia very well. They just didn't. They didn't pay enough attention to it. They didn't give it the right... They didn't give it what I think it ought to have had to have resonated in a way beyond just the really basic things that people... There's There wasn't enough of a story behind all of it for people to fill in besides just like, okay, you know, it's two women in a relationship. And I'm not saying that two women in a relationship is not worthy of having a story but i think that glee just relied on it being two women in a relationship and then we're like and they're cute back off no big deal and they didn't put any care into creating a universe for them and so for me they fall flat and i'm i'm frustrated because i like all those those characters are great characters and it really wouldn't have taken that much attention or time i mean they they are they could have had you know those same short bursts of screen time that some other couples had that really made sense and it it would have worked a lot better um i just think lee did a bad job with it and so when you have all these comparisons of these like major couples you know they look like their quality is just lower because you know they just they weren't given the time or attention you know, and it's interesting when you put it that way, because I think this episode 
works. And I think this episode is, you know, and I don't want to downplay because Makeover was a really good episode. And, and the beginning of season four was a much bigger step up quality wise than, than anything really anytime recently in season three. Um, but this is the first really good and solid episode um, in a very long time. But it's interesting to me. You are, you know, whether you want to or not, they're saying, hey, here are all of our couples and here are all couple. Oh, God. Here are all of our couple storylines. I don't know why that was so hard to say together. Um, you know, standing up on a stage next to each other. And you can't help but, you know, look at the comparisons and look at, you know, what story is getting attention and what's not and what's being written better and what's not, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And the Britannia stuff in this episode is great. They just, you know, when they try and do a flashback, it just points out how they forgot to pay attention to it. So that kind of, um, you know, brings us to the end Oh, I just thought of a better flashback for them. Okay, what? When they're um, holding hands at breadsticks. Right before oh, she, she puts the, the thing over. Puts it out down her hand. Yeah. Yeah. Right? See, if I can do it. Or even that hug at the locker in New York at the end of season two. They, like, hug each other. Yeah, whatever. So we kind of, at the end, it's kind of interesting because Kurt is not in this episode very much at all. Um, and this is the, this, this, this episode relies on its music more than its, um, dialogue, which I think is interesting. And most of that musical arc is for blame. So Kurt's kind of uh, a shadow in this story. Poor kid. He gets a lot of lines though. I think that, you know, Blaine gets all the songs and Kurt gets all the lines. If we have to do the up. So, and it doesn't end with a big Rachel ballad. No, but she gets to wail on the note in the song. She does. She gets to have the. There is the part where she's she's wailing and the curtain comes up. <laughs> but you know, it's it's interesting because I think we're here at the end, and you know, Britanna and Clay, Britanna and Finchel have these long. This is the ending. This is you know, and Clay, as I said before, you know, here we're in the middle of the story. Okay. Well, we're going to keep going. Now, granted, there's going to be a four-month hiatus here, and um, everybody's crazy and whatever, but this is just one moment. And it's kind of exciting now that we can, you know, see the whole picture and go forward. And, and yeah, I mean, I would have loved to see more of Kurt in general in season four. I think we all do. But um, I'm glad that the story, this is not all there is to the story. And I actually really like that it's the beginning of Rachel blossoming into adult Rachel. Well, it's all of them I kind mean, of blossoming her, into adult. No, but her unshackling herself from Finn does a lot for her story. Um, I did like the way that they ended the number where it's like, you know, the song's coming to a close and Finn looks off to his side, supposedly at Rachel, but then it's like an empty auditorium. It's just him. And so, you know, it's like now he's in the auditorium, but he's by himself. I, clearly, it's not supposed to be Finn's fantasy because they did have an argument, though the number is Finn's fantasy, I guess, about all of them breaking up. But I, I, I did like that moment of so you have Finn on the stage of sort of this like, now what? You know, that was good for him. Yeah, we probably should we'd wrap it up before I start saying the same things 20 more times. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want to be repetitive. No. Like, did I mention that Kurt is gorgeous, Sad? <laughs> gorgeous. Oh, my God. God, I, I know. I just know that I'm the worst at. Re- I have. I have a tendency to say the same thing like five thousand times. Now, granted, maybe when I'm listening to it, when I'm editing, it just drives me a little bit crazier. But hopefully, it's not too bad on the podcast. <laughs> um, well, because you just did the exact same one, but like focusing on, on the lima side more. So no, actually, it, we. I think of- we talked about vastly different things to be honest with you uh i want to uh thank you guys for doing this kind of heavy episode with me um thank you for the listeners for listening if you haven't go listen to the blaine podcast it's really awesome too um otherwise we will be back next week when we do the double of role you were born to play and Gleese. and have a great night Missing puzzle piece. I'm complete. I was just guessing at numbers and figures, pulling the puzzles apart. Would you love me even with my dark side? Somebody let me come through. I'll always be there. To help us survive Being alive Oh, don't you understand I'm never changing who I am You are the sunshine of my life Let's have a kiki